Hello and welcome to this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the show today is Rebecca Dottery. Rebecca is a graduate of Howard University. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much, DCEO. It's a pleasure to be on your program today. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. So, Rebecca, I want to jump in and, and uh, you have a pretty interesting uh, life. So I want to do something uh, just to kind of show your journey to Howard. So tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how you ended up selecting Howard. Absolutely. So um, I spent most of my childhood years in Nigeria. And during that time, I lived in Saudi Arabia a little bit, the UK a little bit, but mostly Nigeria and then moved to New Jersey. So my formative teenage years were in New Jersey and from New Jersey to Washington, D.C., Howard University. So I came to find out my first um, impression of Howard was actually, actually through my father's friend, my late father's friend, who uh, was an architect, and his house was just fabulous. And I remember he always talked about his experience at Howard University in D.C., and that was actually in Nigeria. Um, you know, he went back after graduation, and I also know of a lot of African presidents who went to Howard University. So it's just always been that place I just always wanted to go. And another, a couple of other reasons which are pretty interesting. So I um, was a 16-year-old freshman college student. And I also chose D.C. because at that point in D.C., you could actually get a driver's license at 16. In New Jersey, you had to wait till you were 17. And that would have meant a whole nother year. <laughs> and I really wanted to start driving. So immediately after my freshman year exams, I got a drive at school, learned how to drive and got my car for the summer. And I was ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> so that was another um, interesting reason. So. What so it really made the picture perfect. So what made but so how Howard was chosen so you can get to DC? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> so what was it like? No, your, well, it was Howard first, right? Yeah. Sorry. No, I didn't it hear you. It was Howard first. Okay. And then the the law about driving just made DC perfect. Just, just, you know, was icing on the cake. Yes, I on actually the need to be here for all of these reasons. <laughs> yeah, because so, I looked at different states. So at that point, I think Alabama also you could drive at sixteen. Georgia you could drive at sixteen. But no, it was Howard for me, and and that just made it perfect that DC also had those laws that you know inspired my very teenage interest. But I've always wanted to go to Howard since I was a little girl. <laughs> So what was it like, 16 years old, a freshman at Howard University? What was your freshman year like? It was very interesting. You know, um, I turned 16 in June, so I was really a fresh 16-year-old. I, I was 15 when I graduated in May. And Howard really felt like home for me. Um, it was just amazing to see different Black people. It really is the Mecca, right? Different Black people from different parts of the world, um, the Caribbean, Africa, the U.S., just all there together with this feeling of, you know, and and goal to be to be great. Everybody on Howard's campus has and had and still has a strong desire to be great, to make an impact on the society. And at that point, our president, um, President Swigert, also um, expanded the slogan to leadership for America and the global community. And I feel like that sense of leadership that sense of thinking of leadership within America and that sense of thinking of leadership within the global community really transpired throughout the entire Howard communities. And 
the feeling as a 16 year old was i want to be great too <laughs> the world is ahead of me i could do anything i want to do and of course you know by my uh sophomore year i was an intern on capitol hill uh, my, by my junior year, I was an intern at the Democratic National Committee and just so many other experiences that that, you know, Howard um, gave me as, as a student. And I also worked at the auditorium, the Crampton Auditorium, actually throughout my four years. And it was an amazing experience to work on that campus and at that particular auditorium because they really just took me as a child. Um, and I didn't even realize how how young I really was. Now I, I, I mean, <laughs> looking just back, back at I it, I thought to myself, "Wow, I was really young." But um, but somehow I was able to adjust within the school community. Everyone um, just treated me as as me for who yeah. I am. And I, you know, by the time I was eighteen and able to to join a sorority, I pledged Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and I'm also a very proud member um, till today. So. Howard was just, I would never trade that, that experience for anything. So what was uh, Greek life like uh, on the campus of Howard? Well, Greek life was amazing, right? Um, we have the sisterhood. So the sisterhood is is something that we cherish forever, and that's still there to, till today. And in addition to that, service to the community, service to all mankind. And what I remember of AKA and even other Greek organizations, is always having community um, projects, always in the schools, in the community, having a focus for each year, raising funds. So that was definitely a huge part of Greek life. And of course, there is also the social aspect, right? right? So on Fridays, we will all meet at 12 at the plot, we'll sing hymns, we'll sing other songs, um, just socialize. And that's definitely something that makes Howard Howard because even non-Greek students will come out just to look at us. And and for some people that would be, you know, that was like their first impression of, of, of Greek life. And for some, they had parents or family members who were Greek members. My parents were not were not Greek, so yeah. um, that was my first impression. And I remember, you know, going to, diff, um, to, to just observing different organizations and really saying, um, I think this is where I fit. This is the organization that matches my personality today and who I would like to become in the future because we always had alums who would also come to our programs. And I always looked at them with such a high sense of admiration. And even till today at homecoming, when I look at my stories, I'm like, you know what? I made the right decision. This is who I am. So uh, Greek life at Howard is, is a lifetime experience because we always go back for homecoming and that's when we also see each other. And so of course what, at other events. What, what are, the, uh, what are homecomings year. like at Howard? Well, you know, homecoming at Howard is great to the point where, you know, Biggie Smalls had to mention homecoming at Howard, right? <laughs> so it's really a phenomenal experience. Um, it's second to none. And, and you know, we're on the yard, we, there are concerts. Now the tailgating in the last couple of years, when I was there, tailgating really wasn't that much of a thing, but now tailgating is a thing as well. And, you know, we have the step show, there's always everyone always thinks they should have won <laughs> for whatever reason. And sometimes it's very evident who people think should have won as well. So that's also another part of homecoming. Um, and then just really hanging out with your, you know, with your line sisters. So oftentimes there's always a particular line anniversary that year for the different um, Greek organizations. And the, the it's always nice to come back because um, the sorors on campus will honor us. And 
sometimes perform skits or share um, souvenirs and things of that sort. So it's just always nice to just come back to that place that that's been home and is still home for us. So Greek life and homecoming at Howard is is it's there. You, you can't miss it. <laughs> so let, let me ask you this question, uh, because you were very young uh, when you went to uh, Howard. Uh, were, did you have any mentors or individuals uh, on campus that looked out for you and helped you along your journey? You know, at, at that point in my life, honestly, I didn't I didn't I had mentors and I didn't even I, you know, I didn't really call them mentors. Right. As 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 we see it today, where it's very important to, to have mentorship and we have a lot of mentoring programs because even when I started my nonprofit, that was one of the things, the focus of the nonprofit, to, to connect young people with mentors. So I had mentors, but then they didn't really have that title. Right. Um, and even as a high schooler, one of my mentors was also an AKA uh, who took me out to shop for my prom dress. <laughs> and even that was also part of my experience seeing Soros, um who are AKAs and just saying, you know what, I really would like to be like this, these women, these phenomenal women. And um, so I did have mentors along the way. And I just also just had helpers of destiny, right? People who I just happened to meet at a particular point in time when I needed help for certain things. So I remember when I was applying to, for the internship at the DNC, I didn't know what I was doing that summer. I wasn't even sure. And then I ran into... Um, someone who was already interning at the DNC and was also a student at Howard at that time. She's an attorney now. She's also a sorrow. Um, and she said, what are you doing this summer? So we were all in the pre-law society together. And she was the vice president of the pre-law society at that time. And I said, you know what? I'm not sure. She said, send me your resume. And of course, then everything was still hard copy. So I ran into Crampton, printed out my resume, gave it to her. And then, you know, the next thing uh, I was able to get that internship for the summer and through the year until the election um, ended. So I had mentors, but and also helpers of destiny who God just connected me with at points in my life to so, lead me on this journey. So how do you feel Howard uh, helped prepare you for uh, where you are in life now? I believe that Howard really gave me a sense of confidence. Howard was that place that connected me to so many Black people who um, are doing great things in the society. And seeing them made me believe that I could do that too. So Howard really instilled in me that sense of confidence to know that I could be who I want to be. And also that sense of confidence to advocate when I see injustice. So I remember um, protesting. <laughs> Uh, going on walks, um, spending the night in front of the Supreme Court the night before the um, affirmative action hearing years ago. And and after I graduated, I actually still rented a place close to Howard. And I remember the night they were walking to this, um, the, the Supreme Court and I heard it you know, from my place. And I said, you know what, I can't sit in the house seeing my people walk to the Supreme Court. So I just joined and we all walked there together and, and stayed there over, overnight. So yeah. Um, Howard just really prepared me in so many ways. And of course, academically as well. Um, I had great professors who had high expectations, challenged me and and also exposed me to black history and you know, the, the history that now is becoming um, widespread. And hopefully we, we were able to allow black history into the everyday curriculum and in all states of the United States. Yeah. But 
at that point, it gave me access to 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 the curriculum I, I may not have had in other places. So, so you, you, um, how it just prepared me in so many ways. And so also you, with the bond, right? That support system that right. I, I could still call until today to say, hey, I'm trying to do this. What do you think? So you, you mentioned that you uh, you started a nonprofit organization. So I want you to uh, tell me, number one, what inspired you to start a nonprofit? And then tell me more about your nonprofit and what you all do. Sure. So uh, what inspired me to start a nonprofit? Well, two things inspired me. One is just my faith. I, I just had a sense to, to give back. And another thing was teaching. So immediately after graduation, I went into teaching. And as a teacher, I noticed in, in D.C., Northeast D.C., where a lot of my students came from the poorest neighborhoods in, in Washington, D.C., I noticed that there were certain aspects of the curriculum that um, were not accessible. And, and that was ma mainly around soft skills and, and just access to career exploration, um, learning soft skills around time management, um, dressing for an interview, how to present yourself at an interview, and, and just really appreciating even DC as a city, all that it has, the rich history in DC. So I started a program then called Future Leaders of America, where we exposed the students to these different career paths. So we had speaker series, movie series, um, field experiences with a career focus for each week. And the students got to learn about these different types of career paths. And then we also had selected workshops on time management, um, Dress Up for Success, financial literacy, um, and, and things of that. So we partnered with a lot of other organizations to bring experts to, to present these topics to the students. And um, so that was what really inspired me. And over the years, uh, my nonprofit, Alvina Foundation, has become my intellectual incubator <laughs> where I really think of different ways to address inequities in the society, through primarily through education and youth issues. So from there, we went on to doing data collection on schools. Um, investigating what's working and what's not working in schools to see how accountability could come from the demand side. So accountability meaning um, parents, students really holding schools accountable on what they need to make education more accessible for them and to give them a high quality learning experience. And then now I'm in the space now intellectually where I'm like, um, let's look at incentives. How can incentives actually improve educational inequities? Um, so a few months ago, I spoke at a public hearing in D.C. on incentivizing students to, to go to school because, um, you know, my own, I've done some investigation and in, through interviews, talking to people, um, whether students will show up in school if they're paid to go to school. And there are studies on that, too, that show that students will show up if attendance is tied to an incentive and, and the incentive has to be, I mean, the requirement has to be something they can control, not so much of grades because they can't control the grade, but the, the student can control showing up in school. And when they show up, then other, you know, the other resources at, at school, the value of those investments would actually make sense at that point. So, so that's um, one of the efforts that I'm working on now and helping parents who are working wage salaries, raising funds for them to offset their um, their hourly wages so they can actually attend their students' 
IEP meetings, for example, or other activities at school. So when they're more involved, then you know they're they're more likely to know what's not happening and hold the schools accountable that way. So that's you know where things are, and um, that's been the journey of the nonprofit in a nutshell. Right. No, thank you for that. Now, currently, you you are uh, an educational consultant, correct? Uh, Tell me about your. That's correct. And tell, technology, actually. And to, okay, so tell me about your journey to this career. Sure. So after graduation from Howard, I was a school teacher for quite a number of years, and from there I started to work with international organizations um, that do education work internationally. So I worked in Nigeria for a few years, just helping as a consultant to study education from the um, the private sector, education from the government sector at different levels, um, looking at professional development, grant programs to improve education at a systemic level, at the state level, national level. So through those years, I worked with um, the, the World Bank, Oxford Policy Management, a couple of other organizations. And that really just exposed me to looking at education comparatively. Then I also did a master's um, at the George Washington University in international education and human development and a, a second master's at Harvard University on um, a specialized study of the US education. So that was looking at education in depth. And then the first master's was looking at education in breadth. And um, and that really also just gave me an, another way to to dig deeper into education from a business standpoint, of course, a cognitive learning standpoint, and also a legal standpoint. And from there, a um, couple of years later, my legal journey also started. So over the years, uh, I've also worked at a tech company as an education subject matter expert, and that also opened my eyes into technology to seeing how Technology can be used to address other issues in education as well. Why are you so passionate that, about why are you so passionate about education? Um, I really believe that, you know, it's an interesting field to study. It really cuts across every area of the society. So when we're thinking of politics, when we're thinking of economics, when we're thinking of sociology, when we look at poverty, when we look at health. Education cuts in through, cuts through all of those aspects of society, philosophy. So um, I find that the study of it very intriguing because it really helps you to see the society at a very interesting lens. And I also find that space very important because that's somewhere we all have to pass through. And the experience we have in those spaces could be a huge determining factor of one's life outcome. So that's why I'm very passionate about education. I, I feel that if we're looking to address issues around poverty, um, inequality, education is really a good space to 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 channel resources and and get to people to really address those issues. Now, currently, you are also enrolled in law school, uh, correct? So yes. tell me about yeah. So tell me about uh, the decision to pursue a law degree and what your goals are for achieving that. Absolutely. So I I love education. I love technology. I love business. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, all these other spaces that cut across just how how we can improve 
improve society. And I believe that giving you um, getting a legal degree really helps you to see the world um, from a legal standpoint. And everything also cuts across the law, right? Yeah. Um, we through schooling, right, and through the law, segregation officially ended in America, right? So it's very interesting how these two areas are very critical to how society functions and why it's very important to understand how they work to really make an impact in society. Um, so I am interested in studying the law for several reasons. One, I'm interested in really looking deeper into teacher labor laws, um, how teacher labor laws can be improved to actually improve education as well. I'm interested in how technology transactions can be an avenue to work with emerging companies and, um, and entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs of color, black entrepreneurs, to give to allow them to have access to venture capital, because that's also another way for economic mobility and solving society's problems. And I'm also interested in understanding the law when we look at the world globally, and we looked at we look at the impact of slavery and the impact of colonization, and how can we how can we look at how those um, events have impacted Black people globally? And what can be done to think about like global reparations at that level? So all of these things um, inspire me to study the law. <laughs> so tell me this: if uh, if a parent is watching this show, or or a high school senior is watching, and, and they're trying to make a decision on where to uh, send their kids to college or where to go to college, why should they select Howard University? They should select Howard University because Howard is, first of all, it's the Mecca. We like to call Howard University the Mecca. And as any Black individual um, who is considering higher education, that is that place where you really, truly learn, learn about your people. You learn about your people because you, you become exposed to different types of Black people um, from different parts of the world. You you learn about their experiences. So a few weeks ago, I went on a legal field study to Cuba and I met someone from Mississippi Law School on, on the elevator. And the person said, oh, I'm from Mississippi. And I said, no, you're not saying it like somebody from Mississippi. Say it like someone from Mississippi. And jokingly, right? He said, oh, Mississippi. And the, another person on the elevator was laughing to say, how did you know that? And I knew that because of Howard. I met people from Mississippi. Right. We learned, you know, we all learned each other's culture. And, and that experience is so intriguing. And by learning culture, that's really how we can learn to understand each other. That's how we can learn to come together as a race, to really uplift ourselves and 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 get to you know where 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 we're going as a as a race. So so for that reason, that's definitely one reason I would say you can't get that anywhere else. I mean, potentially at other HBCUs, but because of that Mecca experience at Howard. It really sets Howard apart, I must say. And not to be biased, I love all HBCUs. I want to show that supports all HBCUs. And another reason is because in a lot of spaces in society, for whatever reason, right, when people are looking to do anything within the Black community, and sometimes you can look at this, you know, from a, a good standpoint and another sort of like, okay, that's not fair. But for some reason, people go to Howard first. And then other 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 HBCUs. So some people criticize Howard for that, like, oh, why does Howard get all that attention? And then some people would say, you know what, 
it, it allows you to have so many opportunities. So there's an, also another way to look at that. And, and as I'm saying this too, I'm also holding those people to a higher standard to say, you know, spread it out, spread the wealth, right? Spread the opportunity. Yeah. But at the same time, it's that space that allows you to have a lot of opportunities. And then just the, the spirit of Howard, there's a spirit of Howard University. And I believe that that spirit transcends in, once you honestly, once you set your foot there, you just catch that spirit, right? right <laughs> and it's that right. spirit to go and, and do something, go and make an impact. And of course, the academic experience is also great. Uh, we have excellent professors, professors who genuinely care about you. My Spanish professor at Howard University still sends me a card at Christmas. We're still in touch. And, um, and, and that's that relationship that you have with your professors where you generally know that they care about you. They care about your success. And, and you know, you really I hear this a lot, Rebecca, you from HBCU graduates, uh, you know, that it's just a genuine love and connectivity between the professors and the, uh, the students. But I don't want to wrap this show up without first thanking you for joining me on this episode of HBCU. And then secondly, I want to present you with our HBCU Lifetime Achievement Award for your continued commitment to historically black colleges and universities and for all the success that you've had in your professional and personal life that continues to highlight and showcase the success stories from HBCUs. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.